Alright, welcome to the Master Keys Podcast. I'm Chandler Halliburton. I'm Neil Andrino. And it is, man, we're coming up on mid-June. I don't know what episode this is. It's the second season. We're going to cover a few things today. Obviously, there's chaos going on in in the world right now in the financial markets, the real estate market. Uh, But we're going to look at a few things. Other affordability indicators, we've talked a lot about inflation, but let's see what that actually is is yielding when it comes to data. Um, and then some possible signs of the economy slowing because we've talked a lot about how the Bank of Canada's intent is to bring down inflation, which um, means slowing the economy. So what signs can we see out there of that happening? And then we're going to talk a little bit about what an appraisal is, how an appraisal works, because they're becoming increasingly important in this current market. Yeah, and one thing I want to talk about just before we dive in is... Master Keys podcast, the objective of our podcast was to help people get educated a little bit more on real estate, yeah. kind of what's going on. We are by no means financial advisors, but we are just trying to create a resource for people that could kind of help them either get in the game, do better at the game, or even just hear some interesting stories and kind of sentiment on the market. Um, we found it really hard to find resources for that. And so we're trying to create that. And we've mentioned a few times before, we're going to be creating uh, some more intense, intensive content on Patreon. We're going to have a website coming where we'd like to have some spaces where everyone can go and share some things that they're they're doing, get questions answered. Yeah. Uh, and there'll also be some resources on there. So again, thanks for tuning in. Masterpiece Podcast is trying to help out. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening. But yeah, like to what Chandler said, we're going to dive a little further into some things about inflation, kind of what the, the banks are saying and the general market sentiment yeah, today. And I want to add to what you said there. Recently, we've been, you know, out and around. The weather's getting good. So yeah. we've been going outside, seeing people. Outside. And, uh, you know, a few of you come up and introduced yourselves and said hello and, and mentioned enjoying the content. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we find it not only flattering, but just rewarding to know that people are checking it out and, um, you know, leave questions, leave comments. They actually changed the icon or, or the the graphic for the like button. So go ahead on you this YouTube video and try the like button. I haven't it does seen a different that. Thing. Yeah, like, follow, subscribe. So no check it out. Click it, click it. Uh, awesome. What's going on, Neil? What's what's new? Um, so again, this is funny. This is my new thing. Every time I say not too much and nothing really exciting, and it's because I've mentioned many times my nervousness of the market. So I've been really coward. I am a coward. <laughs> I, I am really focusing on re like accomplishing and finishing all of the projects I bought. I've mentioned a few times, I probably have about seven or eight buildings that are half torn to pieces. So we're putting a big, big push on getting those accomplished. And the reason being is kind of with rates going up, it has impacted the amount that the takeout... Got to get that take- cash flow coming in, man. Exactly. Yeah. Cash flow needs mm. to come in and it's going to impact the takeout. So the longer I wait, the longer anyone waits, it could potentially reduce your takeout down the road. Um, so I'm, I'm really focused on trying to get those finished. Um, I have been looking at a couple different projects. A few that I'd mentioned on previous pods have rolled across the table again, and we're kind of struggling to meet on price points. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping if I can lock this one up, I'm not saying it on the podcast again until I have it finalized. I think you need to buy something purely, purely for the sake of the podcast, because honestly, man, like you run a little thin on content. So uh, this you need is, to purchase am, something just for the podcast. I, I need a, I need a make work project. I, I yeah. do have a couple places that I'm going to be listing. I think to sell, maybe not necessarily directly for me, but through people that have invested through me. Um, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't made a purchase con. I feel so weird. This is the first time I feel like I don't have a property closing for a while. Um, mm-hmm. and it's really cause I'm just a hundred, not hundred percent sure how I feel about the market and exactly what my path moving forward is going to be. So what do you got going on? I know now, this is a whole I'm opposite. 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 like, <laughs> yeah, I got 47 properties under contract. No, I mean, uh, like you, I mean, so the other day I dropped off a check for, 
like 42,000 to my contractor. And yeah. this was on the heels of like a check last week for 25 grand and market's slowing down a little. Yeah. And I kind of was like, Hey man, we got to get some of these units finished yeah. because I need some of the rents <laughs> and I need to get on my refi. Um, so I'm feeling that strain a little bit as well. I think yeah. everyone is, uh, I need to get those units finished. Um, but I am closing on another property. I think like, you know, less than a month from today. Nice. Um, that's 12 units and that's going to be a project starting, you know, right away. And, uh, I've got another deal on that collection of properties, which ends up being about 20, I don't know, five units. Um, but piecemeal between different things. I'm going to cut you off. I just thought of something interesting. That's so interesting. In my life is, um, this is going to be good. We're converting some of our long-term rentals to oh, Airbnbs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so I'm going to take you guys all through that journey. I have done no Airbnb to date. Uh, these are fully renovated units that were previously rented for one year long-term. Um, we decided to Airbnb them due to the fact that they're in a neighborhood, which when I scroll through Airbnb, you can put no dates, no specific location, and it just gives you all the listings in that area. And there was a fair number of listings. But then if you look at the dates, you can also see what, how far out they're booked. The earliest I could find for another two-bedroom Airbnb in that neighborhood was October. Yeah, I know. You were saying that. And That's so, crazy. And then Airbnb also offers, and I've talked about this before, is you can put in all the parameters of your unit, like the amount of beds, finishes, whatever mm-hmm. it's got for features, and see what they project based on that address for rent based on the ones around you. And so I was renting these units for 1450 plus heat and power. And Airbnb is estimating uh, six grand a month for Ooh. Airbnb revenue. So once I boil out the fact that Man. I got to pay utilities, pay, pay for the cable. furniture, pay cable yeah. and pay a manager, it's still, I think going to work out to probably be closer to two grand or 2,200, which should be about mm-hmm. a 25 to 30% uptick on the rent, which yeah. for me is worth it. Uh, and it just more for me, it's honestly the experience I really want to try getting into. It's also Airbnb. diversifying. Like if people are saying there's some risk element to, you know, long-term renting right now with the rent cap and inflation, all this, Yeah, it's kind of, you know, uh, lessens your exposure there. Yeah, so um, you off. No, no, it's all right. It's actually r- related because I'm going to do the same with some of these units I'm acquiring. Uh, additionally, we just filmed some content down on the South Shore that's going to be coming out in the next little while. But my first Airbnb venture, which is down the South Shore, maybe more traditional Airbnb market. Um, yeah, so. But the, oh, the other thing, I guess, well, I'm d- doubling down on my concern of this market, like I'm going to be flipping a bunch of my different things, I think, that are on the luxury side. So like my vehicle, I think I'm going through a flip now because like I've said, I think the vehicle market might change a little bit and there might be some pullback on certain cars. And so I'm hoping to make an exit on my vehicle now um, and potentially get into something that won't have as much of a depreciation hit. I could be totally wrong because production numbers are going to go on. And I know people are saying like microchip shortage will remain, especially where Ukraine is one of the biggest producers of neon gas, which is required in microchips. And obviously Mm. things haven't gotten any better over there yet. So there is potential that it can continues like this because the wait list for a lot of these, um, higher end semi-exotic vehicles continues to grow. But again, as we talk more today, I think you'll see why I've kind of changed my mind on boats, vehicles, and some, some luxury goods in the, in the short term. There's some other, just to return back here, like hyper, hyper local thinking about like what's going on with us right now. Pretty awesome cruise ship out there. There is a pretty large cruise ship out there. It's Oasis of the Seas. I'm sure many of you have heard of Oasis. I think it was only built like five years ago or something. And it was the biggest at the time, I I believe. I'm going to get corrected on that. I can almost guarantee my life on it. But yeah, it uh, 8,000 people roughly, I think. And so 
Halifax isn't an enormous city, but I feel like in any city, when you drop that many people off in like five blocks, I think like their capacity on that particular one is about 6,500. And right now there's about 5,000 plus. Okay. Right there. So I stand corrected. So anyways, regardless, 5,000 people and it's a Tuesday and middle of the day and our downtown is bumping and you oh, see no, all the, it. the, we get, we get what's called the Harbor Hopper. It's effectively a super ugly bus that floats in the water with no top. And it's those an amphibious are, vehicle. It's, <laughs> those are ripping around. Uh, the little boat rentals are going, sea dews are flying. I see everything like there's what's, I don't even know what this thing is. There's like a wood charter boat going by right now, but it's awesome. This is, this is definitely uh, Halifax, the Atlantic coast summertime yeah, is bumping, the place to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It's like something like how many stories is that thing? I wrote it down here. 17. I, I think you said, or 18 it's stories. Crazy. Like, I'm going to go kayak next to it here in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big boat. Um, the other thing I thought was really cool in our local news was, um, you can get rid of your parking tickets. So a parking ticket here is about 35 bucks. But if you can prove that you spent $35 at a local store, plus or minus three hours of the time of your ticket, you can get your ticket reimbursed or waived. If this incentivizes people, like if you come out and you have a parking ticket and you're like, all right, I'm just going to run into a store right now and drop 40 bucks. If someone does that, I'm going to be like, oh my God, I just, I just smoked the mic stand. I'm so excited. This is going to be one of the greatest things they've ever come up with. Man, it's only going to run through the summer. It's only, I guess, in like the downtown core yeah. uh, i don't know if it's on both dartmouth and halifax but yeah if you get the ticket you're like man i'm gonna spend 35 bucks anyway yeah. i might as well dip into a store buy something and have it go there rather than go to municipality so kudos to um uh halifax for coming up with that i think it's a great idea i'm sure it's in the other municipalities i hadn't heard of it but i think it's awesome very smart idea um i also was on the phone with the mayor's office today um Jesus. i got a call back from a strong i was on the know. phone with the president earlier yeah I mean. no big deal <laughs> ever heard of him um so I reached out because a lot of people in my neighborhood have been noticing the increased um, little temporary shelters around downtown Dartmouth. That's where I live. Yeah. Um, and I was curious. A lot of people are upset about it. Like, NIMBY. you know, people can feel, well, yeah, yeah. People do not want them there for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Um, and I reached out and part of my email was, can you just clarify, are all the current shelters and housing options full? Like, is this, is this genuinely a surplus or are some people selecting to not stay in those units, but rather yeah, live yeah. in one of these uh, temporary? And the answer I got was that the existing shelter supply is maxed out uh, and that, that some of these new quote unquote temporary things that they made are still not up and running at full capacity. And they also mentioned just kind of a curiosity when I was talking to the person from the mayor's office, it wasn't the mayor himself, um, too big to take my call, um, <laughs> but uh there's also really like, just so you know, if you're curious, they can not be removed. There was actually a court case, I guess the Supreme Court of Canada said that those shelters cannot be removed between 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. as well. Oh. Which I was like, oh, I didn't ask, but that's an interesting thing to know because there was some criticism that this was being done stealthily and so on. But if you're seeing those units in your neighborhood and you're wondering what's going on, it is because even though they created, have provided more and more units, it's still not meeting uh, the demand yeah. at this point in time. So that doesn't um, surprise me, but I'm sure there's some people curious. There are people in my neighborhood curious, hence the email. Uh, and that was the reply I got today, but let's what? dive in. <laughs> let's dive in. So we've talked a lot about how things are getting expensive and, and I cited that youthful inflation. cities. Yeah. Inflation. Ever heard of it? Um, the, that article done by Youthful Cities, and I encourage people to go and check out their website. They've created this think tank called Youthful Cities, and it's got the website. Um, and they kind of rated cities, and Halifax was rated as the most expensive city for people 15 to 29, which was really depressing. 
but a stat came out, like I was going through the website and one of the things they highlighted was that people in that age group, again, that's 50, 15 to 29, run a deficit of $750 a month. What is a 15 year old spending $750 a I month? Don't, yeah, I don't love this age, <laughs> the, this this category. What, what is a 17 year old running? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, I, I am sure there are 17 year olds out there that are having to support themselves, but I don't know that it's. Of course, they're running a deficit, they make no money. But, um, <laughs> Anyways, yeah, no, yeah. I know. And then, so realistically, it's the 20-year-olds that they're talking about. They're graduating and they're running a deficit. That's the other problem that kind of skews this statistic is 18 to 23. Could actually be higher. Yeah. Uh, was, is likely quite a bit higher because they're university students who don't have an income, but then also spend about 20 grand a year to yep. live. Yeah, that's true. So they're a deficit of two grand a month and they're, they ultimately imp- impact the other remaining year brackets. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm going to throw a couple other things when we were talking about affordability indicators here. Um, the average Canadian now carries almost $21,000 in debt, excluding mortgages. Okay, so that's so like high-interest consumer debt. Yeah, this is your line of credits, your car loan, your Credit visas. Cards. That card you got at Best Buy, all of that stuff is now up to about twenty-one grand. Um, monthly spending on credit cards increased 17.5% in quarter one, and lenders issued 31% more credit cards. So... This, that's the problem. I'm getting freaking out about this. Totally. This is concerning. And and so you've got the government that's raising. So this is this is the interesting problem. Everything's really expensive. So people are taking on more debt to try to afford it. And then the government is going to raise interest rates to try to. They're slow, forcing to, an, to they're make forcing, they're forcing a recession. They're not even trying to slow things down. They're forcing a recession. Well, but but it, it's it's a really hard situation because you're trying to bring prices back down through inflation but as you inflate things you have to realize we have a debtor consumer now like the consumers now are in debt and when you raise interest rates you are going to hurt them and it's getting more more expensive uh to live because of this consumer debt here's the other way that i think people need to look at it that i don't know that everyone is um when they say inflation's like seven eight percent whatever it might be in a quarter that's not only is everything you're buying more expensive. You're like, well, I'm not really changing my lifestyle, so I should be fine. No, your income also effectively just went down by seven or eight percent. Like it's the equivalent of like yeah. if, if you were making a hundred grand two years ago and you're making a hundred grand today, it's like if you were making eighty or seventy-five. Mm-hmm. So this is also not even including your housing. Yeah, this is how they think they're going to slow the economy down because people are like, well, that interest rate there, how does that that interest rate spike? How does that slow down inflation? So when you effectively um, hammer the value of the assets people own and you effectively increase the cost of getting access to money, i.e. like your boring costs, mm-hmm. everyone just feels a little bit poor. Cool, and when they, they feel they, a little bit poor, they are a little bit poor. Because <laughs> they are a little bit poor. <laughs> and then they do not spend as much money. And here's another stat that, I, that came across. In the last six months of interest in, uh, raises, the average mortgage payment has gone up by, I've got this here somewhere, $790 in the last six months across the country. The average? Yep. And this is skewed because there's some big, big markets where those mortgage payments are gigantic. But also during the last couple of years, it's been something like 40 to 50% of new money mortgages have been variable rate. And so in the last six months- So these um, are saying existing mortgages are growing by this much? Yes. Okay, so it's not yeah, just because yeah, everyone's yeah. buying Sorry. new, more expensive homes. No, no, this is existing products, how much they would have gone up over the last six months on average. Okay, and just to double down, because we're just out here whipping on stats, and Chandler and I like doing our research separately, so we don't know what we're going to throw at each other. <laughs> yeah. So again, Chandler explained, again, due to like 
without doing anything, as rates go down, it automatically increases your wealth if you own assets because those assets are more valuable because new consumers are going to be willing to pay more because they can borrow the money to buy them at a lower rate. So effectively, they're paying less to buy what you have, which forces its value up. So in this, and, and what ends up happening then is by product, you end up feeling richer because you are richer. You technically have more money, you have a higher net worth, but it's it's tied to other things, right? It's it's like a stock valuation. Like Elon Musk one day is worth $250 billion, The next day is worth $200 yeah. Billion. Yeah. It's the same concept on a smaller scale. And in, in this case, it's not just the news that's bringing down your value. It's also interest rates that are bringing down your value. So to double down, just so people understand what kind of amounts of money we're talking about, in USA, homeowner equity under 80% of their property's value. So under 80%, that's the tappable equity that you could use to borrow out and buy and spend yep. and do things. Just in the first quarter of this year, so in the first three months of this year, rose by $1.2 trillion. So consumers in the U.S., 300 million people, their their tappable equity went, 300 million people went up by $1.2 trillion. So that's $4,000 a person. Mm-hmm. And again, there's out of that 300 million, probably only whatever, 200 million own, on, on, on. So it's actually yeah, yeah. quite a bit more money. So they feel flush. So everyone feels flush and they're way more down to spend. And so this is why when we're talking about average prices going down by a certain percentage and interest rates going down by a certain, up by a certain percentage, it's massive amounts of swing that can change it, right? Like this is, I just want to throw that out there because when you're saying that, like this is why people are feeling flush because there's that much more money in the market and now that's all getting pulled back out of the market. Yeah. It's being erased immediately, like overnight. It sounds super depressing, but the idea is if people feel more poor in their day to day because they are, as you point out, um, either through their assets coming down or their, you know, value of their property or, you know, interest rates, they will then go out and buy less, which means prices will come down. Um, the challenge is prices are sticky. And what that means in economic terms is that they don't just voluntarily go back down. Once a price goes up, it is hard to bring that down because labor isn't necessarily just going to accept a lower wage rate right? Input, input products may not automatically go down if there are other things at play. For example, oil costs, right? There's, there's a, there's an inherent momentum to an economy that remains once this growth takes place that has to maintain. And that usually keeps the prices up for a lot of different reasons. Like he's saying, like Chandler's saying with wages, um, expected living styles, and even just like in general, like a city, once they expand and build all these networks and all these things and they grow out the neighborhoods and all these new buildings, they don't just then be like, oh, we don't need this stuff anymore. We've shrunk our economy. We're just going to like cut off 10 square kilometers and stop servicing this part of the the town, right? And so yeah. it feeds into this perpetual kind of... Well, no one has really even thrown out the word deflation, right? Like prices come down. They're just hoping prices stop going up, Yeah. right? The housing market and the asset market is, is actually going to contract and they're, they're trying to contract it. Um, but this idea that like the prices may be the prices... They just will hopefully not go up as much and maybe we're just going to have to live with it. Deflation is scary too because it can cause some serious and just general like consumer confidence will be completely shot. Uh, yeah. as you, like all the businesses will shrink. Layoffs become a lot more like, you know what I mean? People start to really pull back. Um, one thing I want to add in there too, I know we've been kind of balancing on this a couple times. On top of the thing I just said about the $1.2 trillion increase, the actual tappable equity pool in the States is estimated at $11 trillion, which is the highest it's been since 2006. And that's right before the last crash took place. Additionally, 75% of the borrowed money out there right now is at a lower rate than the current rate. Oh, God, yeah. So you're so saying what you like just said, like when those rates increase, yeah, there's exactly. going to be repercussions. There's going to be massive repercussions because yeah. all the money right now is cheaper than what it actually should be costing. 
And additionally, like there is a massive amount of available money that again is still giving people that consumer confidence to buy and continue to invest, which will potentially get erased very quickly, which could cause again, as far as potentially deflation. We're sounding yeah. like a very doom and gloom here. No, no, but let's let's keep let's keep leaning into it. Um, I guess I'm gonna we're gonna pause here for a quick little pop quiz. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would be a great time to like and subscribe if you're watching online. Um, but pop quiz, Neil. Yes. What is the most affordable province in the country to buy a home? Oh, God. It's going to be like super contrary. They're going to be like BC. No, it's going to be Alberta. Are you, what? No, no. Well, how are they? How so, are they sorry. Average, average home average price. price? What, what's the cheapest home? Oh, uh, New Brunswick. New Brunswick actually just became the second cheapest. They just Damn became it. more expensive than one other province. PEI? Nope. Newfoundland, Labrador. Nope. Oh, uh... Saskatchewan? Saskatchewan. So New Brunswick was always the cheapest place to buy a home until yeah. just recently. They just passed Saskatchewan. I, there were all, just to preface that because I know a bunch of people are like, what's he saying with Alberta? No, the reason I said Alberta is because I assumed it was... it <laughs> was said BC first. Well, BC was a joke. BC was a yeah, joke yeah, because yeah. right now all these weird stats are coming out because I'm going to hit you with one here in a second now to follow this. But because um, they're going to be like, based on lifestyle, when we factor mm-hmm. in the value of a hike right. at $30 million a hike... It actually equates that it's cheaper to live in Vancouver than it is. You know, and my, my buddy Eric posted this comparison of, of Alberta versus Nova Scotia and how much everything was cheaper in Alberta. Well, to and so I said Alberta simply because the average income is enormous. Like I was just on the phone with one of my buddies who lives in Fort Mac and he's like, I know they say the average income here is whatever, 130. He said, that is not true. It's like 230. And he's like, the reason it's 130 is because there's a ton of, like there's a ton of government workers and a ton of basically minimum wage workers that bring that average down. But he said, there is nobody at my company that makes under 180 grand a year. And we're talking like mm. just general basic positions yeah, yeah. that are not necessarily specialized or anything. So um, that's why I said Alberta, because I was like, you know what? I know their housing is comparable to ours, but their average income is probably about two and right. a half times ours. Either way, for listeners in New Brunswick uh, and listeners in Saskatchewan, um, you've now swapped. New Brunswick is the second least expensive place. Okay. And Saskatchewan is the most affordable place to buy a home. All right. So if you're looking to... Buy home inexpensively. For New Brunswick, anyone who's curious, so the average home price that was just published in New Brunswick was three hundred and thirteen thousand, uh, and three it's gone up hundred and forty one grand in the last three years. So basically wow. it's doubled in three years, the cost of buying a home in, in New Brunswick. Okay. I'm gonna hit you with a quiz then too. Oh, all right. Bring it on. Money Sense did a list on where the best place <sighs> to buy real estate is in twenty twenty two based on cost and return on value. It's forty five cities. In Canada? In Canada. Okay. Who's number one? What was the best city to buy real estate in in 2022? Based on like return on investment? Based on purchase price and the return on investment. Purchase price and return on investment. So effectively return on investment is what it becomes. Ooh. There's steam coming out of his headset. Um, well, I mean, let's stay on the New Brunswick theme. Maybe Fredericton? So close. Moncton? Moncton. Damn it. Moncton came first. Uh, Halifax. What do you think Halifax plays in that? Fifth. 21st. Ooh. We took a big hit, which I was surprised. because yeah, we're expensive now. <laughs> and we Ooh. love our taxes. Where do you... Who do you think was last? Oh, it's got to be BC. It's got to be Vancouver. Vancouver came last. Yeah, it's the best yeah. place. Which is funny because most people assume like investors love to flock to Van, Van City. But uh, they they're... flock pers- on the way up. They run on the way down. Yeah. Fraser Valley is down 54%. 
uh, sales volume last reporting. That is psycho. Yeah. Number 43 out of 45 was Toronto. So it's Toronto, Oakville, Vancouver as your bottom three. Yeah. Worst return on investment. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Those places make sense to build, um, but not to, uh, not to necessarily buy and just sit on the, on the properties. But anyways, that was so, just a little one. Now let's jump into, we're saying all these things of like what, why the government's doing this inflation, trying to slow the economy, trying to make people effectively be a bit more conservative with their spending. Um, now let's see if it's working. So quarter one, our GDP here in Canada was 3.1% increase. All right. Mm-hmm. It was expected to be about 5.2. So that means we were, our GDP increased by 40% less than expected, roughly. Um, With an inflation of seven. Holy God. Yeah, yeah. Like, so it, it's the, the, the GDP is That's contracting, inflation's still up. But, but that is a positive indicator for slowing the economy. Yeah, um, now they're attributing a lot of that to net uh, import-export. In the States, first quarter, they actually had a recessionary report of, of minus 1.4% on their GDP. Like, so they actually, their GDP contracted and they blamed it on the same thing. Um, so you can already see this happening a little bit. Um, with the housing market. It's so scary. I, I got to intro. It's so scary. If people can think of like two lines in their head and GDP is like not increasing and inflation is like. Those that those are like very key indicators of like how much money is changing hands and how much things cost. So just think like mm-hmm. if GDP is not increasing near the inflation rate, like that is meaning that somewhere there's a loss. There's a loss in that system, and those lines are going to cross back over at some point with aggression. Well, like the inflation reporting is always going to lag some of these things, right? But and that's true. The, the reason we obsess over housing is because I saw this stat, and I wish I had it here in front of me. Over the last like five or six years, eighty-five percent of Canada's GDP growth has been attributable to the housing market. Even sketchier. Like that means the growth that our economy We're has going negative over the last five years, the vast majority of it can be attributed to household spending, right? Um, real estate and household spending. And, you know, normally it, it kind of is around 13 to 15%. So if that drops off significantly, it's not unthinkable to see these recessions. We got a lot of criticism out there. People like, there's not going to be a recession. This is blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying that we will actually go into negative periods of GDP growth. Like we're still at 3.2 or whatever I said it was. That's still positive GDP growth. But it, like, if that was the numbers reporting from January, February, March, which were still bull market, yeah. what are they going to look like for these next three months where that we're pulling intentionally pulling the housing market and consumer spending way down? Is it possible that our next quarter of GDP will actually be negative. It's hard because, you know, month over month, this is the tourist time of year. It's going to be skewed, right? But yeah, but the tourist time of year is only going to impact certain specific cities. Like we'll do okay with it and all that. But like, I don't necessarily think some of these inner regions of Canada are as heavily tourist leveraged. But I think this is a huge indicator and why I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast agree with it, but maybe not everyone in general. And I don't think the general sentiment's there, but this is why other industries are so extremely important. And so you don't leverage. It's like everyone was like, oh my God, like Dubai is 100% leveraged on oil. And if that stops, they're screwed. And so they did an amazing job of going out and getting heavily into real estate, making some of the world's craziest real estate to draw on our real estate economy. Yeah. They went out and set up a bunch of stuff for tech. They hosted every tech conference and every big tech event. And they got all the companies to go out there and do that. So now they have a huge tech industry. And so they're like diversifying. They set up their financial industries there to service the Middle East. And so they did a big push on that. Um, they, which I'm not, they have a ton of issues, I know, and they have a ton of human rights issues, blah, 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 on and on. I'm just stating. Did you just like, blah, 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 human rights I issues? I didn't blah, 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 human rights. What I'm trying <laughs> to say is, blah, blah, blah. is that, is that <laughs> they made an effort just on kidding. that Do front. Yeah, exactly. Context. Don't now, don't even encourage them to come at me. Clip the video right here. Yeah, but we, 
have done, I think, a terrible job in Canada of this, honestly. On industry side? I don't know what terrible is a fair... What do you mean? We're constantly squeezing out every bit of industry that's out there. Anything that does decently well, we squeeze the living lights out of it oh, yeah. until <laughs> until they leave. Right, they get to right. a point where like, Dude, yeah, it's not... Yeah, it's, and this saying. is why we buy everything from the States. We have to cut but our trees, send about, them to the States, and then buy them back. What we do you buy want? our oil from the States. <laughs> like, we buy everything from out of town. That, I don't think that's a fair criticism of Canada, specifically when you're in a global economy now. Like, people who rag on Canada for, like, the price of gas don't understand that, like, oil is set internationally. Like, there, there's only so much... That, that we can do unless we really uh, go old school. We only produce for ourselves and blah, blah, blah. I don't know, man. I crossed the border and the gas price drops by about 55% instantly on the first gas well, station. Well, that is taxes, though. That, that's taxes. That's but not, 55% yeah, yeah, is yeah. not just taxes. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, shoot, what was I going to say? Uh, you had me worked up about something and then I lost it. Um, either way, let, let's look at some other indicators uh, of the economy slowing down because the data stuff always lags, right? Like even housing reports, like things closing, like you don't know what's going to be. Schedule. Um, let's look at some of the things. So the Board Ape Yacht Club for those NFT lovers out Chandler, there. Chandler's buying a Board Ape. As, as that market Man, crashes, he's market sixty percent down in May. Down sixty percent. But there's no not, not to be surprised. There's no intrinsic. Someone respond to this. Send us yeah. a video on TikTok. There is no value in random NFTs. There isn't anything. Oh, you're gonna make the technology. The technology has value. Yeah. But all these random little paintings and pictures had nothing to do with anything. Like, but you can make that argument about any art. Yes, but this is like saying, okay, so paintings. There's there is a 0.01 percent of paintings that have a ton of value. The other 99.99 percent will have, and I mean value dollar value. I'm sure there's sentiment or like value in your household knowledge, cultural value in those things. But I mean like trading dollar value as an investment. Only 0.01 percent of art has that value. The other 99 percent is garbage, and Mm -hmm. so everyone just bought in because the news just talked about the 0.01 percent, and it was weird because it's electronic art. But it, it, most of it is pretty much garbage. But the technology oh, yeah, totally. has yeah. some really cool applications of being able to assign things. And also once the online, I think, in the metaverse world really starts to take take shape and become more, uh, I guess, widely used, NFTs will have even more value, I think. I wish we had, I wish I knew that figure. The, Maud Lewis, there was a Maud Lewis painting auction that broke all Maud Lewis heard, records. Yeah, yeah. Dates. I wish we had that number because we're like these stupid apes and then you just throw up this black cat. This guy put up a, with a, a, poppy. a <laughs> white a white paint image on the internet and got 100 mil and then this person, Maud Lewis, like amazingly talented and they're like, yeah, I got 100,000 bucks. I mean, bucks. is she amazingly talented? Yeah, oh I my God. Know, I, I don't want to go down the road. I think you're so upset. But, yeah. Um, I didn't so want to say anything but. There's a little thing, uh, you know, that that's reflective of some sort of economy in a, in a weird way. But let's go into the, the, the big hitters. Your boy Elon caught some flack because he sent out this you know re- report and said that uh, he thought in Tesla was likely going to have to cut 10% of its salaried workforce. Yeah, I mean, this is... I, I like Elon for so many reasons because... He just tells it like it is. I know yeah. he does some things he says that are a little like, offside. I'm probably going to need to fire you now. Yeah, exactly. But like he, he, yeah, but other companies will try and be super sly about yeah. it. Like yeah. this is my other thing. All these other companies, and I had this conversation, um, I'll say with my, with my girlfriend, if she's listening, she's going to laugh, about she's like this ES, ESG <laughs> score stuff. Like <clears throat> there's companies on there that are, are way worse than some of the companies that are getting excluded from it. But oh, they're yeah. just better at playing the game. Oh, that's all it is. Like, oh, it's so funny that they also own the news company locally, that where all their p- plants are, and they're able this to. Put is this is why I hate ESG. Yeah, and a- Elon, Elon is just like he's very straight up. He's like, look, the the, the economy is pulling back. We've projected that things are going to slow down due to rates going up. People aren't going to leverage on our vehicles as much. All of our debt against all of our factories costs more. We can't get the materials to build. We have to downsize. And people are like, 
What's this guy's deal, and man? And that downsizing like, and the way he handled it like, uh, will, will hurt his ESG store score. Like, doesn't 100%. even he doesn't his is already screwed. Like he's not even on the list anymore. He doesn't count. Like he's Let, let's let's move into some other big hitters. Uh, Amazon. They also came out, and I don't know if they hit, missed their earnings targets or not, um, but they came out and essentially told investors that they believed. Uh, they were actually overstaffed currently. They went on pretty aggressive hiring for quite some time. Now they believe they are overstaffed. And we know what that means. If a company like Amazon's overstaffed, they're going to lay people That's off. That's sketchy because they're like the second largest employer in the USA. Are they really cheapers? Um, remember, we've been doing this podcast now long enough that we talked about the great resignation and mm. like people just quitting on mass because like yeah. you know what i can get a better job and i'm gonna do gig economy like i, that I was only like piece. six eight months ago man totally <laughs> right and how hard it was to get people to now work you're gonna be wanting a new job so make yourself necessary this is this one people like i can't wait for things to collapse the great reset is <laughs> like all right but like for some people that's gonna be job loss walmart they missed the earnings target, and Walmart doesn't typically miss, miss earnings, earnings targets. targets. And they you were saying that their their warehouses are starting to fill up. They're thirty three percent. They have thirty three percent over in in their inventory because they ordered a bunch of stuff, thinking people were gonna buy forever, and some of it took a while to get there, so it all backlogged. They've got thirty three percent excess of inventory, so they're going to. How does Walmart make miss that projection? I don't understand. Man. Yeah, no, no. It, it's it's a valid question. However, that's how quickly things have changed in the last six months. And if they ordered some of these Toshiba flat screens like there's eight months be, ago. There's going to be some sick deals out there. Well, they, they said they're, they're, they blamed on a couple things. Fuel pricing, um, you know, the, the cost of fuel. Yeah. They missed their target also because of the excess inventory sitting around. But they also said, I think we might be a little overstaffed. Do you think they said they had too many private jets? Uh, yeah, that's that's the last thing they cut. <laughs> they got to keep those. Uh, so if you're looking at Walmart, Tesla, and Amazon, all basically saying, "Hey, we're overstaffed, and we think um, you know we're going to have to do some cost cutting measures here to hit our targets." Two things are going to happen: people are going to get laid off. Um, but Walmart said we're also going to roll down some prices. So this is kind of the old rollback commercials with the smiley face. Oh yeah, um, this is kind of the central banks getting the result they want. And what people don't realize is the result they want might mean job loss. The result right? that they want is full-on job loss. It's going to be a full-on recession. They are not just doing this to cool things off. They have to pull it back. Um, <laughs> so nobody, nobody likes Elon Musk, but if the central bank had Twitter, they would. that would be the new public enemy. So the Bank of Canada, one of their you know, uh, dudes rolled out there, not Macklin, not the main guy, but someone else, and he was questioned, and one of the questions was, Will you continue to raise rates even if it puts us into a recession? And he was asked that question effectively twice. And both times he didn't explicitly say yes, I'll put us into will will put us into a recession. But the answer but is both yes. times he said our focus is to curb inflation and we will do whatever is necessary to curb inflation. Which yep. is a soft yes Which on we don't care soft, if this is, is a recession. Exactly. Um, now whether or not yeah, I don't know what'll break first their resolve, right? Like their willingness to do that uh, or inflation. Like, I, I don't know if they can get this inflation under control. No, with it, So um, it's not going to be enough. Policy not going to be enough. They're going to just keep going until it goes to a full breakdown. Yeah. These are a lot of the negatives that, that are coming that are actually showing the slowing of the economy. But with that could be some positive. Like if you walk into Walmart now and that TV is cheaper, 
That is prices coming down, then which is what we want. you can go from a 50 to a 60 inch. It just happens that they might have a, a have a staff cut. Another one is lumber is down something like 40% in the last couple months. Lumber. And then that hasn't trickled down to the consumer. If you go into Home Depot, Kent, uh, whoever wants to sponsor this, if you go in there, <laughs> those, those prices... <laughs> We're going to bleep out whoever does it. <laughs> yeah, those prices are still up because it takes about six weeks for them to clear their inventory, yeah. right? So they're still selling the product they paid full freight for six, eight weeks ago. But lumber prices are now down 40% over the last couple months. That's going to trickle down to housing and, and to, to homeowners. But why is lumber dropping? Well, there's less demand for it. People aren't spending. Homes aren't being built. New developments aren't starting. So you're balancing all these things. So just a thought here. This is a bit of an aside. Back to the central bank thing with in- increasing rates and wanting a recession. Little thought. Do you ever think that the central bank, like the government, part of them wants there to be a recession because what ends up happening is when there hasn't been a huge stressor on the economy in a long time, the general population tends to forget what it really means to run your finances properly. And so to teach their actual population, they force these things to take place. I know it sounds insane. I know it sounds insane. But no, but seriously, right? Like it's like we force a recession. This next generation is is going to consume in a much more controlled manner. Here's why I'm calling bullshit on that. Because there are also the same people that like... Then they sprinkle, they, they allow the banks to, you know, put out these consumer debt loans at higher rates than they should. You know, they, they, no, no, I, I don't think you don't that's think the so? case. Because if they genuinely wanted that. They're not backing the consumer debt loans though. No, but they're creating a, a banking climate where, you know, they can, they are allowed to do that. Like you could change the bank, banking laws to protect consumers from them, themselves. If you really wanted to protect consumers from them, themselves, you could do it. We just happen to know that if you restrict consumer spending at a time when you don't want the it, problem is then a place like, a place like the states, though, if you put in too much policy, you're going to have a full out picket fence riot. Like you're going to have people going ballistic. Yeah, but their banking market is super different there. Here, I think you could do it, right? Like you could make these things and put them in place. Well, I think they're um, trying to with the new down payment requirements, a lot of the different taxes that they put in place. I think they are actually intending to do that here. They're just forcing it. Like I think the bigger conspiracy you could say is like, how come they put all of these restrictions on things when you want to borrow to put a roof over your head, but no restrictions on when you want to borrow to put a flat screen TV on your wall. That is a little bit, if you really, you know, the mortgage is the least of someone's concern and in terms of their overall consumer debt. I think it's because on the, on the small scale, it's not, it, there's ways to get around it being regulated as like loans and stuff. Cause like these afterpays and that, they don't charge interest rates. They charge set dollar amounts. So they, they skirt the rules yeah, and, then, and yeah. then it's a small dollar amount. So it doesn't classify into like a big enough category. Do you know what I mean? That being said, like yeah. you're saying, consumer debt is ticking up quite heavily, um, yeah. especially now with this whole... The, there was a transition, actually. I was looking at this, of this how mess. during the pandemic, mess. like we used to spend on average 70% of our money on services and 30% on goods. And that basically reversed during the pandemic because okay. services weren't being offered really. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so then it all went to goods. And so this is where this consumer debt concept kind of grew because yeah. then you could finance everything you bought. And then it also, it, that's why we got this massive boom in, in basically Walmarts and Amazons and all that. But now that things are opening back up and the service industry is coming back online merit because there's a lot of people who can make money off of that, like getting back into their work and getting their businesses going again. Uh, but then there's also lots of big guys like Amazons and Walmarts that mm-hmm. are going to take a take a beating. So I think in the long run, though, I think there's going to be some good opportunities that come out of this. If you're in the service-based industry or getting into it, now might be a good time to do that because there's going to be another growth wave, I think, going back to that and a shift away from all the product stuff. Because I feel like online product selling was 
booming during during this pandemic. Oh, also things that like you would bring into your home and do projects there. This yeah. is part of why lumber went. I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to do a little project on my house, in my house. I got nothing else to do. Well, now it's like, no, I can go outside and, and buy entertainment. Yeah. I'm going to spend my money on entertainment rather than these other things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is just a total aside, but I, I caught it caught my eye here. Um, they rolled out like like 9 million people in Canada got this um like CERB advance for 2000 bucks. Yeah. And they sent out 1.7 million notices saying, we're going to need that money back. You didn't qualify. So that means 20% of the people who got that initial $2,000 CERB advance. Is Neil texting someone right now to be like, uh-oh, the jig is up. Um, you can't see this here if you're just listening, but Neil immediately got I'm his just phone sending an e- I'm just sending text. a quick e-transfer. Give me a second. Isn't that, that's 3.4 billion? Uh, what did you say? 1.7 million people, two grand. That'd be $3.4 billion. Zero Dirty. Million. Yeah, so they're they're coming back almost 20% of the people that got it. And they're doing it at a time where, as we just mentioned, credit card debt is at an all-time high. Payments are up across the board. Some people might be losing their jobs if they work at Walmart. Like, this is the balancing act. So you say you want this dramatic reset. Here we go. So, yeah, he's not saying me. He's saying just the people out there that are saying this. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous as hell with the dramatic reset. No, the reason I was opening my phone, I'm trying to find the... I had written down a little story here, and it, it was... Kind of, I mean, I find it kind of funny. Some people are going to probably hate me for thinking that it was funny, but basically, it was that realtors in the states. Oh, I saw this. Received three point nine billion dollars in paycheck protection during COVID, while at the same time, the market, blew up. The market absolutely blew up, and they pulled oh, up a bunch man. of realtors because I guess they yep. can see this, yep. and like this realtor sold eighty million dollars in property. So if you average a two percent commission, that's one point six million dollars. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, $1.6 million uh, on of, of earnable income. In the same year, he took in $81,000 of forgivable loans from the government. And people are like, how is this happening? And I know how this is happening. Um, realtors obviously are incorporated as their own businesses, and then they pay themselves a paycheck, right? So you personally aren't earning all this income. You have a real estate sales company that earns the income. And then you personally take a salary from your sales company. If for some reason your sales company decides during COVID, we might have to cut things back. <laughs> they made that decision. Yeah, you yeah. as an individual have now lost your paycheck. So you qualify on that technical clause that you qualify for paycheck protection. i just going to say for the protection. record, I did not do this. Is this a thing just, that we could have yeah, done here in Canada? I think you can get away with doing this oh here in Canada. Um, I actually bounced this off our broker and had him like, hold up. Does that mean if I just stop paying myself? that I qualify. And he's like, well, technically. And I'm like, I'm glad I didn't do it. But uh, wow. 80% of these loans of the 3.9 billion were forgiven. They did actually contact, NBC actually contacted a few realtors that they like could pull up their name and be like, oh, it looks here like you're online on, on Instagram. You said uh, luxury top producer, but and you seem to have a brand new Range Rover. But on the same note, we've also seen that 110K was wired to you on a forgivable loan. And uh, all, all the people that they contacted said, wow. yes, I had a great windfall this year and I've actually begun paying it back. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, realtors are definitely paying back that forgivable loan. Yeah. If I know realtors. Yeah. <laughs> but, but All right, man. So we've talked a little bit about kind of how expensive things are getting <laughs> and what we're seeing for actual signs uh, in the economy that, that things are shifting because yeah. uh, it's certainly happening. And now we're going to talk um, – uh, about appraisals because this is something as these house prices pull back appraisals are becoming very interesting what's the word? interesting is a good word so let's start off neil like what is an appraisal yeah temperamental and, is the word i think yeah. but so what exactly is an appraisal so an appraisal is what the bank 
requires to value your home. Or it's a third-party independent way of valuing your home. So you might think your house, there's always those memes you see. Your house is worth $100 million. It's your house. And for you, it's worth $100 million. But unfortunately, on the market, it's not. But even it goes a step beyond that because everyone says my home is whatever someone is willing to pay for it. So if someone has written me a check for a million bucks on my house, then that means my home is worth a million bucks. And appraisers don't agree with this. And they, they're more of a neutral party. They, they try not to have a vested interest in the evaluation of your home. And so even a, a lot of times it does have a huge weight. If you can show that you had potentially multiple people willing to give you a million bucks, mm-hmm. then yep, an appraiser is yep. willing to change their tune. But if one person out of the blue, like if Chandler just happens to buy my house for $5 million and it's only worth 200 grand, the appraiser is not going to take that as gold because at the end of the day, it's only one person. But if we had five random individuals show up at the same time with that same offering, they might be willing to value it at that, but they're going to figure out why. They're not just going to be like, okay, this house is now worth $5 million. They're like, okay, so the actual home is still only worth about five hundred grand. But the parcel of land that it sits on due to its zoning capabilities or whatever it may be is worth four yeah. and a half mil. Yeah, but they if, call that the highest and best use and, and all these ways to measure the value of the property. Yeah. But it's really f- interesting. As the market's going up, yeah. all those appraisals just seem to hit the target. Yeah. So like when, when the market first got hot here, because we'd never really had it, some were missing. Yeah, People were bidding over short. and they just kept kind of falling short because the appraiser has been here for 10 years. And he's like, I've appraised every house in the street and they're all worth 330 to 350. The nicest ever was 375. Yours is not the nicest ever. And you're selling for 425. Unfortunately, yeah. your house isn't worth that. Yeah, that was an issue early on, like 20. call it like summer 2020. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right at the start. And then as we started to have some consistency to this growth, appraisers started to be like, oh, wow. Well, first of all, this is terrible as it is. They don't necessarily get all the jobs if they don't hit the numbers that they need to get. So there is some pressure from externals. But Mm -hmm. then they also started seeing like, look, you know what? I came back to the same street. That one sold for 425 and his neighbor sold for 450. And the one next one sold for 475. So now we have some comparable data. And there's some trending weight that they're not really supposed to do, but they can kind of put it in there a little bit. I can't remember what they call the term when they look at like the trend of the real estate of it. Exactly. And so that allowed them to then justify these new purchase prices. And so again, just to finalize though, like, so an appraisal is basically, it's a third party company that provides supposed to be an unbiased valuation of a home or a commercial property. And in a, in a house, they look at all your comparables, your surroundings, your location, the value of the land. And when they compare it to your neighbors, they are going to look at the details of like fully renovated bathroom, half renovated bathroom, uh, kitchen with dishwasher, kitchen without dishwasher. They will literally break it down to those points and they'll be, they're called like positive influencers and negative. And they'll be like, you'll see it in there. Sorry, positive adjustments and negative adjustments. And those will help to fluctuate kind of the price. And then they'll kind of boil out to an exact number. Um, The other thing to keep in mind is really important that the appraiser works for the bank. Even if you're going for a refinance and you you speak to your lender and you're able to say select your appraiser. Yep. Right? That appraiser ultimately works for the bank and they're meant to be protecting the bank's interest. So when it, why it matters is because the bank if they're going to loan you, you know, be it 300 or 500 or a million bucks on something, yep. they want someone to go in there and say, "Yeah, it's worth that." Yeah. And why this matters, we've always talked about why this matters when you're refinancing a multi-unit property and all these things you can do with cap rates yeah. and with rent to get the valuation of your property. It's the, the appraisal is a massive part of the Burr model. If it started with R, they definitely would have put it in there, but it starts with A, so they kind of skip over it and they just call it refinance, right? But like the appraisal is integral to all of this. Reappraise. Yeah, <laughs> reappraise. Yeah. Um, so... What's going on right now, and, and I've heard this anecdotally, 
Um, but you're hearing it more and more and more that appraisals are falling short of purchase prices. Mm-hmm. Upwards of, you know, someone tweeted the other day that something like 40 or 50% of the appraisals in suburban Ontario areas are coming in under the purchase price. So say you've why? agreed. How have they, why are they making that decision now is the thing that kind of blows their mind. Cause it's funny how they. Cause they're getting scurred. Like what? they know that they're responsible to the banks and they're they, now trying to cover a little bit here because. And they do carry an insurance and a liability when they provide that valuation to a bank. I don't know what exactly the agreement is, but that's usually why they're with firms because those firms do carry some sort of. Not guarantee, but they basically are backing that valuation. And I think they mm-hmm. carry a legal liability when they say a house is worth a million bucks. The bank is saying like, okay, like if this comes back and we end up getting screwed on it, we can kind of chase you down for some sort of valuation. I think appraisal insurance is quite high for that reason. Oh, I'm sure. And, and they're looking like, okay, there might be defaults here in the future. And if there's a default and the bank says, well, we loan that money. Um, All based, credibility based on, is lost. You know, and and we, we go to sell it. Now we can't recover the loan amount. And you told us it was worth that amount. Like they could be responsible for that. So why this matters for buyers is say, I agree to buy Neil's house for a million bucks. The lender comes, they said, great, we're, we're happy to finance a deal, but we want the appraiser to go in and, and assess the value. The appraiser goes in and says it's only worth 950 Guess who has to come up with the extra fifty grand? The buyer. And look at some appraiser of these big deals. Fired. Yeah. Look at some of these big deals where it's like it might be 1.8 and then only appraises for 1.6. Um, if you had that as a condition of your deal, which for a long time, people had no conditions, mm-hmm. right? But if you have it for a condition of your deal and it comes in 200 grand under... You either have to renegotiate or eat that out of pocket. So this is a huge thing that's going on in these major markets. I haven't seen it here locally yet. I find the appraisers are still, you know, they're still hitting values because we haven't had any big major swings. But as some of these numbers get reported and prices go down, you're going to see these appraisers kind of covering and hedging a little bit and and bringing the numbers down. To what we've talked about before is how consumer confidence has always been that their neighbor's house sold for more. The second you see your neighbor's house sell for less, you kind of lose all that confidence. Mm-hmm. It's the same with the appraisers. I think the second now a few of them have seen a few sales go through that don't beat the previous sale prices in the neighborhood, or they sell for slightly less than something that they have appraised in that neighborhood at higher, mm-hmm. they're like, oh crap, my credibility, my insurance, my all those things goes up up in the air. Also, they just genuinely want to give an accurate in-the-moment reflection of the value. They're 100%. Right? And, yeah, to be honest, like yeah, they're trying to give an, exact, an actual value. And then the other thing to consider, so appraisals on the commercial side, cap rates are of extremely important part of, of mm-hmm. the valuations cap rates take into account the expectation for interest rates and with interest rate pressure creeping, the requirement for return is going to increase for people buying. And so they're going to buy at higher caps and it's also going to show and push that current market cap rate that they use to appraise commercial properties up. So again, we're not seeing it yet, mm-hmm. but if these yep. rate increases sustain, this constant downward cap rate pressure that we faced may kind of swing in the other direction, which can have yeah. a huge impact on takeout. It's like a quarter percent could result oh, in millions massive. of dollars on a certain building. Just like an appraisal on your refi, the difference of 50 grand, if you're refinancing 80% loan to value, like that's mm-hmm. 40 grand, which if you're starting out, that's your money to go buy the next one. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about this before, like with appraisals, you try to be a little bit opportunistic. When you have that good sale on your street, you try to get an appraisal close to then because they need to use recent data. Well, what happens six months from now where all, you know, the three best comparables are down, you know, that's that's how you lose your equity, which then allows you to not go out and buy more, which slows the, again, this is what they're trying to do in slowing the market. Would you um, recommend to people listening to get all their appraisals done right now and try and get some takeouts accomplished or to wait or what would you be your thought there? Huh, I hadn't thought about that. Um, I think that it's a good time to be liquid. Yeah. Um, so getting access to cash 
I think is always a good idea. Also, a lot of these refinances you can do can be on a HELOC where you don't actually pay anything on it until you use it. So if you're worried about changing your numbers right away and paying a higher interest rate, like at least you can have this liquid, uh-oh, I'm getting the finger wag. Finger wagging over here. Those HELOCs, home equity line of credit, right? It's a line of credit against the equity in your home. that's one option. Under 80%. I'm not saying it's not, I'm just, I'm just going to throw this out there because I've had a ton of people ask me about this recently and said, hey, should I reappraise and get a HELOC? When interest rates go up, your debt service ratio is going to increase. The debt mm-hmm. is going to increase. It's going to reduce the ratio. The bank reserves the right to then reduce that HELOC, whether you've utilized it or not. So if they open you a $100,000 one today and rate increases take again another two hits and the market takes some sentiment, the bank's saying, hey, we don't want to have this much liability out there right now where people mm-hmm. are over leveraged and a bunch. Here's we got 50 million in HELOCs where technically they're over the debt service ratio. We have to put out a mandate to all those branches to yank all those HELOCs back. And so I told a few people, and they said, look, if you really are wanting access to that capital, you might want to take it on a mortgage amount, have the cash, if you really want to have it, understanding that your mortgage payment is going to go up and all those items. But you, it's better if you can get it locked in because the things that they're going to close first are the HELOCs. You, they can, also make, you, they can also make you pay your mortgage down on a refinance. That's also possible. Sometimes just to refinance or just to, um, what is it, renew your mortgage, you can technically have to pay in on that. And so that is that is a thing, but well, you're less know, likely man, to see that yeah, than I think HELOC yeah. shrinking. I think HELOC yeah. shrinking will be the first thing you see. It's very easy for them to do. So what are your thoughts right now on getting appraisals and, and going liquid? Yeah, man, pull it all out. Leverage to the top, 99% <laughs> out. <laughs> Appraise that bad boy for 125% of what it's worth and take it all. No, in all seriousness. So I couldn't you, tell if you were joking for a bit there. <laughs> I'm like half joking. I'm half, I'm half legit. Um, yeah, it depends on what you're going to do with the money. If you're not going to do anything with the money, you're, you're not interested in investing it and you're, you're more of a conservative person than no. I think carrying a low debt ratio on your home or your investment is a really good idea and to be safe through this and kind of ride the wave. If you're an aggressive, like, and you believe like mover and shaker kind of a person, I think now's a good time to get your, your max value of the property, take out a decent amount of money at still a fairly low interest rate and try to be opportunistic. Lock it in and try and be opportunistic. Did you say lock it in? I would, I wouldn't, I would lock it in. Hmm. That's that's part of the no 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 no. You, oh, you mean like rate wise? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Sorry, I mean like I mean like no HELOC. I mean like okay, actual okay. actual mortgage product. All right. I don't like the HELOCs because I think those are going to get pulled back. But I would okay, do mortgage product. Okay. The concern that I have, and the only reason I would, I would even consider locking it in, and we're going to unpack this I think again later, is what like to what I just said. So if you do a one year variable right now, and a year from now, if the rates are up another two percent, and the bank decides that your DSR is not great, you could have to give back some of that money. On the commercial world. So you could, really? oh, okay. yeah, so on a renewal in a year from today, hmm. they could say, hey, I know last year, like, we're not giving wow. you any more money, okay. but actually to maintain a position in this property, you need to give us a hundred grand back. And you'll see that Damn. more on the commercial side, again, less on the residential. And this is where the concerns are for me. And I think this is where they talk about a lot of commercial guys will get squeezed is because 75% of the money out there is locked in and looking at renewals in the next two years. And they're going to come up with these rates. And if you're in a really high leverage position, you may have to pay pay down your leverage, and if you can't, you have to sell the property. I feel opportunistic about the rates moving forward, but so let let's uh, talk about that as kind of our, our outgoing thing. Because so I've had a lot of people continue to ask, "Are you going fixed? Are you going variable?" Mm-hmm. And my immediate answer, this is not financial advice, is I'm going variable. Mm-hmm. And to try to unpack why that is, I, I don't know. We covered a little bit before, but the Bank of Canada rate right now is one and a half percent. Yeah. Right. And they're meeting, I think, four or five more times through the, the rest of the year. The next one is July 13th. So a month from the day that this comes out. Yeah. They're going to meet again. And I hate to tell you, they're going to raise rates again. 
Yep. There's even been some little whispers that it's going to be 75 basis I've points instead of 50 basis points. Yep. And the reason they sneak that out and they kind of hint that early on is because you get all of the... Less than the blow. You, well, not, not only less than the blow, but actually let that the let the results... It's kind of like you put the fear in people and then they already act like the rate has already gone up. Yep. Right? So you get a free month of people acting like the rates are up 75 basis points, even though they're not even up yet. So rates are going to increase and all projections. Someone asked earlier on Instagram or on TikTok where I thought they'd be at the end of the year. And I kind of thought they'd be like 2.25 to 2.75 or whatever. It looks more like they're targeting 3%. uh, And that's where the banks have kind of set their end of year projections at around 3% for the Bank of Canada rate. After that, moving into um, the longer term... That's so high. Sorry. <laughs> I'm it's sweating. Not it's not that high. Like, I mean, yeah, it is fine. Um, so, but looking longer term, they, they, being like the banks, and when they're setting their fixed products, are actually banking, no pun intended, on <laughs> that, that rate stabilizing at 3% and even actually probably coming down, right? So... They are building in an expected 3% Bank of Canada rate into the fixed products that they're offering right now. And maybe, like, I don't know what you're seeing out there for variable rates. Maybe three and a quarter? What are you seeing for variable rates? Yeah, I haven't priced one out recently. I'm doing them right now. But say, like, three and a quarter, maybe for a variable rate. Yeah. And a fixed rate, you can maybe get four, seven, five, four, five. commercial money? No, just residential I think, well, it depends on your term, like, because I've seen some fixed ones, like, one and two year fixed that are crazy low. And I think they're crazy low what? Like two, like like high two what? range. No, uh, no, yeah, no. I have a guy. I'm gonna double check and all we'll fact check this. But I believe one of my guys came back to me yesterday and he had a one year or two year fixed term offered to him at like two nine nine or something crazy. And I I genuinely believe that they're trying to bait you to take that because then in a year from today you're gonna have to renew at a much higher rate. I I, I disagree. I think like and I was looking at a few products where they were actually trying to. I mean, what they're doing, they were moving it up on the shorter terms because I think that if you take a two-year product, you're going to be renewing into a much lower product in two years from now. Um, this is why I think variable is going to outperform it. I mean, if we're expecting another 1.5% rate fixed. increase from Bank of Canada, uh, if we're expecting that 1.5% increase, maybe that means the variable gets as high as, what, 4.75? I think you you're know? being optimistic with how quick they're going to turn around. You think it'll be longer than 18 yeah, months? Yeah, I think it's going to be years that these are going to sit like years. this. Yeah, I think it'll move up and down like 25 basis points here and there, and there'll be some slower downward pressure. But I think it's going. It's not going to creep up as fast as it's going, or it's not going to creep down as fast as it's gone up. And I think if we look in the past okay. years, how yep. many years did it take for us to get this low? Yeah, yeah. No, that, that that's fair. Everyone talks like this rate is, we're going to the rates of 2007. It did, it did take a pandemic to get it down. It took 15 low. years and a pandemic to get this low, yeah. and it's taken six months to creep this thing back up. It's not coming back this low that quickly. Right. Okay, but still, with but you do believe it's probably coming back down in the next 24 months, at least marginally? I think, I think it's going to stop cranking up in the next 24 months. Okay. So has that changed your thoughts on locking in fixed versus variable? Yeah, so it depends on your product. It depends on your product. But again, I met with a couple bankers here. But if you have an existing product, you would not be locking in at these post rates, would you? No. So for me, like I I met with some some of the bankers here that do a large amount of lending in Atlantic Canada and they they didn't have great sentiment. Like just sitting at the lunches where they were just like, I foresee this being a multi-year thing and it's going to take years and years and years after for it to come back around. And so... And I was kind of thinking that too. And my thing is when you look at the rate charts, those are designed, they kind of tell you what's going on, right? Like when they're baiting you to certain years, 
they're in business. Like it's a game, man. Like they're, they're trying to line everybody up to be stuck in these renewals at certain periods of time. And so I think your peak out rate point is going to be 18 to 24 months because that's why these one year terms and two year terms are so much cheaper. Yeah, man, but I've seen a lot of, ones. I've seen a lot of two and three year terms that were actually uh, higher than the five year. Well, they're still they're trying to threaten you with like, Oh, I mean, we can give you three years. If you want some flexibility, we'll give you three years at a higher rate, but good news we can lock you in for five years at only 5%. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, no, man, I'll ride variable and standard five. I need to, I need to get a new sheet. I'm looking, I'm getting a bunch yeah. of, of banking stuff done right now. I'll see what the new sheets look like. But last time I had looked, I remember the one in the two years from a few of my clients too, they were cheaper than the three, three to five years. And I really think that they were trying to bait them in there. Cause if you go for a three to five year, you're going to run through the entire rate increase. So they need to make their money. So they're going to go after you there for me especially on my cheap wood frame product that has really no alternative value. I'm getting it finalized, uh, capitalized as much as I can on rent because there's, I think rent controls are going to remain and I'm doing as long a takeout and as long as a fixed term I can, as long as it cash flows, it makes sense to me because I don't want to be in a position where the renewal comes and I got to pay back that bill. And I genuinely don't believe that there's that much upward pressure left on a lot of this older wood product when you're getting it valued today in the short term in the short term i think in in five years from today it's gonna be another like thing and there'll be another run into the five to ten year mark so you're not gonna try to refinance or top those up in the near future i'm gonna do it all right now yeah. and I'm, I'm gonna sit on it and I, i'll still be able to refi even on a fixed product i can still go back to that same bank and get yeah, a refi is my yeah. thing right that that bank will still offer and i asked him i said can i come back to you for refi and he said yeah just don't come back to me for 30 grand but it, this was also a $11 million refi. Mm-hmm. So like, obviously I'm not going to go back for that. He said, make sure it's a seven figure refi and we'll do it. And so for me, I'm going to take out the yeah. maximum amount of money right now, lock in for as long as I possibly can amortize the hell out of it. Uh, and just run my cash flow. I can, I don't suspect that I'll be able to go back for more, but maybe. Are you able to share what, what rate you're being quoted? Ooh, I'm doing it right now. So once okay. I get it, I'll, I'll share it. All right. That's something we can uh, unpack in, in a future date. Yeah. But anyway, so thanks for listening. We had a bunch of doom and gloom. We had some ups some downs. Yeah. Um, again, we really appreciate you guys all tuning in. The appraisal stuff I think is interesting. So hopefully you guys uh, got something out of it. If you had some more questions, let us know. Um, where I'm super curious here. People's thoughts are on this, like the market turning and stuff like that. Like, I don't think everyone's like, oh, you're trying to sell doom and gloom, but I don't think it's trying to sell doom and gloom. I just think that is where we are at today. Yeah. Right. Like, I, oh, you know yeah, what I mean? It, it's, this is the reality. Just we're selling like pure optimism 12 months ago. Exactly. You know? But that's that's where, the, that's where it goes with this market. If you've listened to this point, can you comment? I'm just curious, like, who's listening out there still to the... the when there's no YouTube comments, video. I will cry. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the YouTube video. But, so all right. right. I'm going out to look at Oasis of the Seas. I'm taking a kayak to go take a peek. Yeah, I gotta um, go show an apartment. So and let's get out of here. Chandler's showing an apartment. So thanks for listening. Later. Like, subscribe, comment. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.